0: Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger at First Baptist Church, Gulf Breeze, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. I had a conversation the last couple of weeks that reminded me of my youth it reminded me when I was 16, it reminded me when I was 20, and it reminded me when I was 25, and it reminded me even when I was 30 of how frustrated I was at the Christian life, and how, how frustrated I was at, at following God, how, how discouraged I was, and yet how confused I was, and how many times I just wanted to say, I'm done, it's over. I give up. I'm just going to live my life as a good person. I'm going to love Jesus, but I'm not going to do the race thing because that's, that's just too hard. Has anybody ever felt like this, by the way? Right? Here's what the Bible says. Do Galatians 6, 9. Do not grow tired in doing good. For in due season you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. My message today, very simple. simply, is this. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't stop. Because if you stop now, you're going to miss all that God has for you. And I know what you're saying. You might be saying, look, I want what God has for me now. But i got to tell you, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. It is a long, slow boat. It is a marathon that is full of sprints. It is a long race that is set out before us. And the finish line is when you take your last breath. But I have got news for you, this marathon is the greatest run of your life, and I promise you, you will never find more satisfaction than than you will find when you follow Jesus. Amen? Now, this is going to have to be an interactive message today, otherwise I'm going to go Pentecostal on you and it's just it will be ugly. Alright, open your Bibles, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12, we're also, if we have time, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, but let's start in Hebrews chapter 12. So. I initially started by, by, by um, just outlining, before, before I even looked at the passage, I just started thinking, what, what is it that would, would keep a believer going? What is it that keeps us from giving up? What is it that helps us to keep moving forward and, and not being discouraged? And I thought of several things. I thought of obedience. We've got to obey what, we're, what, what God says. And I thought of just persistence. We just got to keep on keeping on, Right. And, and I thought of um, encouragement, being encouraged by others, you know, people saying, don't stop, don't quit. And, and after I thought of all these things, I went to the Scripture, and it happens all the time, but I go, wow, God actually thought of these things before I did. You ever do that? Like literally everything I was thinking about, God had already spoken in His Word. And so in Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 1, here's what the Scripture says, Therefore... Since we are surrounded by such great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author, the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In the first verse, the Scripture says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, what we have here is a picture of something that God is doing that is bigger than us. We have a picture of a continuing faith now, I've always preached this passage anytime in the past where, where we're in a stadium and we've got this crowd and, you can do it, you can. I mean, I've, I've always had that mindset, but I think it's much deeper than that. I think that what the scripture's saying here is this, we are not living our own faith. We are living and breathing a faith that has been alive since way before us. A better picture would be passing the torch or passing the baton. In any Olympic game, the apex of the opening ceremony is what? It's when the person runs into the stadium with the torch and they hand it off to someone else who hands it off to someone else. And the idea is this. That torch has been handed off from the last Olympic Games. That it traveled from that place all the way to the new place. And then in in grand fashion, they always figure out how to light the big torch, right? One time it was a guy with an arrow who got the thing lit and he went like this. I'm thinking to myself, I do not want to be that dude. I mean, national, not just national, international television. Could you imagine shoot, overshooting that? Or undershooting it and catching the whole stadium on fire? That'd be terrible, wouldn't it? Or sticking somebody in the head. I mean, that would just be awful. Talk about pressure. But you you know, he's and it goes up in the air and it hits and and the crowd goes wild. The picture we have, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, is that, that the torch has been passed to you. You don't have a brand new faith. You don't have a faith that you just just started working at from a baby and started figuring out. No, it has been handed to you. The faith that you have has been built upon the backs of giants. If you have no other reason to keep going on than that, that really should be enough. That the faith that you have was given to you by what chapter 11 says... By the by, men and women who the world was not worthy of. Look at what the scripture says. In verse uh, chapter eleven, verse thirty-seven, they were stoned, they were sawed into, they were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. The faith you carry has been carried by giants. They've given everything so that you might know the gospel. And now it's your turn to carry it so that you can pass it on. I don't know about you, but that makes me just, that gets me all excited. The world was not worthy of them. Wow. This faith that we have even though there's a struggle, even though it's difficult, even though it's even sometimes confusing, which, by the way, it's not God's plan. It's something that we just haven't figured out about God. It's not God that's confusing it. That, that's on our end. But even though that, that, that it's, it feels like this weight sometimes, we know that we have in this message the gospel. In this faith that we have, we have the key to life eternal. And present. So since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, by the way, we're not carrying this faith for them. We're carrying this faith for the author of our faith. We're carrying this faith. We are faithful to what God has given us, not because of the ones who've given it to us, but because of the one who. Who we ultimately want to bring glory to—that he's our purpose, so he's where we fix our eyes. He says, "Therefore, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that's so easily entangled." I love this because it's a—it's two different words, it's two different thoughts or ideas. Everything that, or, or, or the sin that hinder, or not the sin, everything that hinders. Uh, if you have a King James version, it probably says uh, everything or the, the things that encumber us, right? The literal translation of that word means it's it's a mass of weight. It's a thing of weight. There's no morality ascribed to it. So it's not necessarily sin and it's not necessarily good. It's just it could be either or. It's the idea of a runner throws off everything that is extra added weight so that they can run the race that has been set before them. Oftentimes it's good stuff. Oftentimes, it's even things that we should have if our race looked different than it does. I was thinking this week on this cruise ship about all the things I wanted to be when I was a kid. All the things even now that get me all excited. As we're watching some of these shows on, on this ship, you know, we're watching one called Million Dollar Quartet. It's actually a Broadway show, and I had no idea that the story behind it was true, but it's the story of uh, Jerry Lee Lewis and Elvis Presley and Johnny Cash and another Carl, is it Carl? Perkins, yeah. And then Sam Phillips, who was the, the guy who orchestrated it all. And, and as I'm watching this, man, I'm going, I want to be up there. I mean, Shannon literally half, most of the time, putting her leg on my hand on my leg going, would you stop? You're shaking the whole row. I mean I'm just I'm just getting all elvisified. I mean I'm just I'm getting all excited. I'm I mean it's in me and I'm thinking I was born to do that. And then I realized I'll never be that. The dream is dead. I'll never be a performer or a musician to play for thousands. Why? Because God had another calling. Or because I wasn't any good. But either way, <laughs> e- either way. Every time we passed a karaoke machine, I just wanted to go. But, you know, I, it, was this, it was this real sense of all of the things that could have been, because, of course, this passage was in my mind this week, and I was thinking, I was processing, I was going, Lord, I'll never be a famous singer. I, I, you know, I wanted to be a firefighter when I was a kid. He's kind of let that one come true a little bit, but I ain't getting paid for it. You know, I'm not a real firefighter. I'm just a volunteer. It was a joke, kind of. Inside joke, I guess, but apparently y'all don't find it humorous. Um, But I do appreciate the courtesy laugh. (laughs) You know, I'll never own a business and make millions of dollars. Never run a multi-million dollar company. All these things that would be so cool. And it's God's fault. Because he said, Jeff, I've not called you to that stuff. I've called you to preach the gospel. Now, don't get me wrong. None of those things are bad. And you can preach the gospel in the midst of that. But that's not my race. And what God made so evident to me in my life is that part of the struggle that I had when I was younger and I say younger, in my 20s, in my, in my college age, you know, and, and, and after that as well, my struggle was because I didn't know who God called me to be. My struggle was not so much with God. My struggle was with me, and my struggle was with all of these desires and hopes and dreams. And how does that fit into God's plan? And here's what I want to tell you. It is perfectly normal and human-like if you wrestle with those things. Because after all, how much ambition does God want us to have compared to how much do we just let Him open doors? That's a real question. When I was younger, I wanted to be the next Billy Graham. I am nowhere near that. So all that ambition, I go, well, is this ambition good or bad? Here's what God had to do in me. God had to empty me of me so that I was more like him than me, so that he could finally do in me what it is that he wanted to do. And that's the process of the struggle when you wrestle with God in your early years. When you want to give up, so much of that struggle is not about God, it's about you. And figuring out how you fit into what God has called you to do. Does this make sense? Part of that struggle as well is that we're trying to figure out what God has called us to do more than who God has called us to be. Make no mistake about it, we are often confused about the two. We often put more emphasis on God, what do you want me to do, more than God, who do you want me to be? But I've got to tell you this truth that I've discovered, and I think you will discover it too if you haven't already. God is far more in, interested in who you are than in what you do. In fact, here's what I know to be true. If you don't allow God to make you into who He wants you to be, if you ever get to where you do what He wants you to do without being, you're going to mess it up. Because you're going to suddenly feel like this is all about me. Look at me, look at me. Does that make sense? So there's this, there's this tension and there's this wrestling because... Because he says we're supposed to throw off everything that hinders us, the weight. And, and, and here's why I had to throw off those other things. Because in order to be a, a famous musician, you have to pretty much be about music and music alone. And there are things that you do that the world will never accept. If You, uh, if, it, the, there, you, have to, you basically have to make that your God. I could never be a politician. I would love to be a politician. I really would. But you want know know? You know to know what? I would never be electable because I would talk about Jesus too much. So that one's out. You'll never vote for me. It won't ever happen. Although I have aspirations, it'll never happen. And I say these things... And I kind of wrestled, to be honest with you, how much should I share about my own struggle in this? Because I don't want you to hear it the wrong way and think that I think more of myself than I really do. I don't want you to hear that at all. But I also thought that, you know what? You need to know that I have never been more satisfied and more comfortable and more secure in who God has called me to be and in the race that He has has set before me. But it hasn't always been that way. And I tell you that to say, if you're in on this side of it, going, man, I'm so frustrated, I'm so confused, I just, I really want to throw my hands up in the air and wave them like you don't care. And I, I just if you fit, sorry. I, <laughs> if you're in this spot, I want you to know it doesn't always stay that way. If you don't give there were times in college when me and God had it out. When I say me and God had it out, what I really mean is He didn't squash me like a bug. He allowed me to vent. And I won't go into it now, but there was a moment when the light switch just went... and God's presence was overwhelming. And it was it was like, it was like moving to a whole other level... Not in a weird way, but it was like God just goes, you know what? You've wrestled enough. Now I'm going to give you peace. And then after a while, I'm going I'm to tweak you some more. And I'm going to do in you. You don't want to know what spiritual maturity is? Spiritual maturity, I believe, is when God does more through you than he has to do in you. Does that make sense? When God is doing more through you than He has to do in you. It doesn't mean that He ever stops working in you. It just means that you have matured to the point where, where the basic you know, you, you've got. You, know, you don't have to wrestle with faith so much anymore. You don't have to wrestle with obedience so much anymore. You still may be a little bit, but at the end of the day, you're, you don't have to worry about those elementary teachings of the faith because you finally have gotten to the point where you go, Okay, Lord, I, just, I believe it. I'm going to do it. You're, you're my Lord. That's, a, that's spiritual maturity. So now God is able to do more through you than He has to do in you because you are ready. I dare say that for some of us in this room, the wrestling and the struggling is because God is in the process of making you ready. Now here's the cool part. He doesn't wait till you're ready to use you. He uses you through the whole process. But somebody in this room, you want to be on the level of, of of influence that takes years to get to, and you want to get there now, I have to tell you, it don't work that way. By the way, the only thing stopping that is you. God will work much faster in you if you'll let him. Does that make sense? It's not, it's not a problem on his side. It's an issue on our side. Why? Because he's got to take us out of us and put his spirit into us in such a way that we now look like him, think like him, uh, love like him, and he can use us in those ways because we're full of him and not us. Now, I would. I would some would say, well, who has a harder time? Is it the one who grew up in the faith or is it the one who came to faith later in the life with all the junk in there? I actually think it's the one who grew up in the faith who has the harder time. Because the one who grows up in the faith, the enemy can be so cunning and deceiving. And he can make very little difference between... He, he can make it to where there's a very difficult time de- determining the counterfeit from the real thing. And when we're, when we're Christians all our life, which that's not possible... At some point, we have to trust in Jesus. But if, if, if we re- are raised in a Christian environment all of our life, things look the same coming up, and so sometimes it's hard to know where pride is. Sometimes it's hard to determine between um, uh, self, um, uh, self-exaltation and God-exaltation. It's hard to know the difference between how much is my own ambition and how much is this God's vision for me. Does that make sense? It's really hard to know that because we've always been in the system. Now if you come from an absolute wild man, you know, center of the year kind of place, God saves you, you're transformed, you're like, oh, pfft, ain't nothing like that anymore, right? It's just, there's a, there's a bigger contrast. So um, one of the hardest things for me learning to wear contacts was knowing which was The inside and the outside because they looked real similar and everybody told me oh this is wrong this is good i'm like yeah if i can't see to see that how am i going to see to see that right i'm going taco no taco i mean i i'm I'm looking at youtube i'm I'm trying to figure this out and here's what i learned the difference is so similar that the only way to know if it's right or not is to just do it enough times to where you can tell the slight difference. For many of us in this room, the frustration is that God is still working in you, but you want Him to work through you before He finishes working in you. The Scripture tells us That we're to throw off everything that hinders the mass, the weight, the stuff. Not bad stuff necessarily, but the stuff that is not needed. You know, um, when I used to be a runner. um, Okay. Okay, that's not true. So, when I was watching my daughter run, that, that is true. And when, I, when I'd go to those enthralling um, uh, cross-country meets, you know, pow, go, 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 go. I'll take a nap for 20 minutes, and then I'll wake up and watch her cross the finish line. I mean, that was that's pretty much a cross-country meet, right? Because there ain't no way I'm running through that thing. If I had a golf cart, it would have been so much easier. So much easier. That or a horse. Hey, you're doing good. So what I noticed is that all of these runners had like these dinky little... Things on, like, you know, when I'm going, first off, I would look really bad as a runner if that were the case. (laughs) Second off, why are they so, why why do they have such little uh, clothes? And I go, oh, because the more, every single ounce matters. You ever seen a swimmer? You never see a swimmer swim in board shorts. No, they're in a Speedo. (laughs) One of the reasons I'm not a swimmer, too. (laughs) Now, Now that I think about it. (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, that probably shouldn't have come out of my mouth, but. Oh, by the way, I always wanted to be a comedian, too. That was one of the, on, on the ship, I'm thinking, man, I could do that. I could do that. I have all kinds of material. Uh, I, I thought of a really good one, I won't tell you, but just give me a second. It was hilariously funny. It has to do with my wife selling me out in the dining room, but I won't tell you. I, I, won't, I won't tell you the whole story, but it was really funny after the fact. So... um they wear these skimpy clothes, not because they want to show their body, but because they're, they're getting rid of the weight. They're getting rid of the weight because they recognize ounces matter. My question to you is this. Is your faith seen in light of this race or just in light of something else that you have in your life? Here's another thing I see. We want God to use us greatly. We want to influence and we want to impact the kingdom, but we're not willing to do what it takes to become that kind of an athlete. Let that sink in a moment. Lord, I want to have that kind of resurrection power. Okay? Die to yourself. Yeah, but I I, I don't, I, I don't think you heard me. I want to have that kind of power, but I don't want to change anything over here. And God says, well, then you're not having that kind of power. Because that power, that resurrection power, only comes from what? Death. I like the verse that says, uh, I want to know Christ in the power of His resurrection. And then the next part that we kind of whisper or go very quickly through, and in the fellowship of sharing in the sufferings. We want the power, but we don't want the fellowship of suffering. And you can't have one without the other. So we throw off everything that, in t- that, that, that hinders, but then the next portion, the next uh, picture is different. It says, and the sin that so easily entangles. Now, I've always preached this passage to mean the sin that in our lives that entangle us, but I don't think that's what it means. And here's why, because the sin is a definite article. The sin, which means the author had a sin in mind. Well, what sin would he have in mind? Well, you interpret Scripture through Scripture, and you always have to look at what's before and what's after, and here's what's before. It's the wall of faith. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Moses. By faith, Rahab. By faith, David. And so... Faith is the backdrop. So what is the sin that so easily entangles us? It's unbelief. I don't believe God is who He says He is. That so easily entangles. That's the problem. If you want to run the race to the end, then you've got to pare down and then throw off The sin of unbelief. You've got to come to the place in your life where you believe God is all that He says He is. That He's the same God of yesterday, today, and forever. That He's a God who is everything that He says about Himself with no exceptions. Why? Because... The race that God has marked out for you and for me is going to require faith. It's going to require faith. It has to. Why? Because if it didn't, then it's our own race. Think about it. What runner wants to run a a, a .2K? The only people that want to run a fun run are people who don't run and they just want a shirt. Or the people who say, I want to say that I ran. Look at me. I, I, I love it too because they always do the, the, big, the big run and the little run on the same shirt. And people just have to guess which one you ran. But you're always like, yeah, I ran a marathon. Well, actually it was a fun run, but, you know, who's, who's escaping count, right? I mean, the only people who want to run a short race are the people who don't actually run. The the run that He has marked out for us requires faith. He says, let us... Or or let's go back. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. I love this part. Because He says, let us run, not walk, not jog, not mosey through, not casually wander, let us run. The picture here is this. I am a highly skilled, totally honed athlete who is running to win the prize. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 and following. I am running to win the prize. If you ain't first, you're last. That's the theology of Ricky Bobby right there. I'm not running to get a second medal. I'm not running to just finish. I am running to win. And see, here's the thing. So many of us... My problem was that I thought that ambition was... I had to totally kill it all and just, oh, whatever door God's open, God opens. But that was the extreme of what God really wants. He does want vision. He does want ambition. He just wants it to be His ambition and His vision. There's a big difference. He doesn't want us just necessarily to be obscure. He wants us to be obscure so that His name is made great. So if that happens by being on a stage somewhere, and that's God's race for us, then that is where we ought to go. But if that happens in a back room somewhere, then that is where we ought to go. I watched this uh, thing on Billy Graham, this uh, documentary over the, over the, on, the, on the cruise. And one of the things that every single person, almost without fail, said is that he was a graciously humble man. Now, do y'all, for the, those of you who are 18 and younger, Billy Graham was the greatest evangelist of all time in that he preached to more people on planet Earth, than anybody ever before or since. And when you watch the footage, and I, and I said that because of 18 and under, they've never heard of Billy Graham unless they're in certain circles. It's amazing. So, I watched this footage, and you could see God's power in these crowds of thousands in Russia, in China. He got into North Korea. He was in places that was closed just totally closed and God opened doors for him and he was able to preach. But the thing about that was this. All of his ambition rested in the power of the gospel, not in the skill of his preaching. The reason he went so far and preached to so many is because everything that he did was for God's glory, not his own. And he was able to keep that through his entire ministry. And I say that to say that you and I, when we are looking at running with perseverance, sometimes we walk because we feel like, well, I can't run because that's unholy, that's unspiritual. I've got to just like you know, ease our way. Listen, if God has placed a vision in your heart, run. Don't walk. Don't deny the vision, regardless of the size, if that is what God has placed before you. Can I get a witness? But, don't make your vision God's vision. It don't work that way. Again, the frustration is in knowing, what has God set for me? So he says, run the race, Excuse me, let us run with perseverance. That's this idea that I'm not going to give up. I am, I am intentionally running with all that I've got. Run the, with perseverance. The race marked out. Here's, you're going to love this. The race. The Greek word for race is agon. Say that. Agon. Now, you know Greek. See? It's a little Greek to you. I knew a little Greek too. He ran a restaurant down on the uh, shoreline. Excellent, excellent food. Agon. Does that sound familiar? What does agon sound like? Agon. Agony. The root word for race is the same word we have for agony. Now that describes a race. (laughs) I've never seen a runner run past the finish line going, yes, I feel marvelous. Never. Never. I see them looking at the finish line, and hope springs in their eyes, and it is dead man walking. They go over and then they fall over, (coughs) sorry, (coughs) but that's literally what they do. They're gasping for air, wow. They're, they're gasping for air. They're, they're even many times falling on the ground and their coaches have to come and pick them up and say, no, you can't breathe if you're on the ground. Why? Because it is agony when you run that kind of a race and that's what the Christian life is all about. Who has deceived you to say that your Christian life is supposed to be this walk in the park? Who deceived you to say that it's just getting on the treadmill, doing your time in front of an iPad? If you're on a treadmill as a believer, you're not running the race. You're pretending to run the race. By the way, you can't win if you're on a treadmill because you ain't going anywhere. I'll have you know I joined a gym two summers ago, and I actually went two days ago. (laughs) I I did, I did, Tommy. I didn't actually do anything, but I did walk through and admire the equipment. It was... (laughs) It was a satisfying, I thought to myself, this is a really nice gym in here. And then I walked out the door. I just wanted to scan my card so they didn't think I died, that's all. I wanted to have a record. Actually, while I was walking through there, I was going, you know, this is what we do as Christians. We join a gym, we get a t-shirt, we get a 24-7 card. We even go every now and then, scan but we never actually sweat. Folks, listen, this is serious. Following Jesus, man, you're going to sweat. You're not only going to sweat, but you're going to feel like it never ends sometimes. And you're going to feel sometimes like you're all alone. And you're going to feel sometimes like it's not worth it. And all of those things are actually combated in the Word of God. No, I will never leave you or forsake you. I've come that you might have life and have it most abundantly. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. All the things of Jesus give us this reason to persevere in the agony of the faith. But let me step aside just one moment and give you some encouragement, okay? I, I said a little earlier that all of those things that I wanted to be as a little boy, I pretty much realized that I can't do those because God called me to preach. And, you know, every, everybody's calling is different. I can, I can tell you that if you, were, if you were to go back and look at our life, the sacrifices really have been great. But if I died right now, I would die feeling like I've lived the life of a thousand men. Because God not only has redeemed whatever loss we might have had, but He has also multiplied through joy and through true satisfaction what He's done in our lives. And I say that to you as an encouragement. Jesus himself said, nobody who leaves father or sister or brother or mother will fail to receive ten times more. Didn't he say that? That's that belief part. I can tell you, God is a good God. Hey, I have no idea what time it is. I don't want to keep you till midnight, but I really won't, but. So just one little thing, if I may. <clears throat> so you got to understand, as a little boy, being a firefighter was my dream. I actually had turnout gear. That's the pants, the suspenders. Oh, I love the suspenders. I, I I had a pole in my room so that when I swung my legs out of bed, I could slide the three inches down the pole into my shoes because my pants were like rolled down. And I would get in and I would pull my pants up and I would I mean, I'm not joking, I was serious about it. At the time, we lived in Miami, Florida, almost as hot as hell <laughs> in the summertime. Like literally, here's hell, here's Miami, in terms of heat, alright? like Yeah, kind of like a place in Texas, too. So. In the middle of the day when I get home from school, I would put on my turnout gear. It was real gear. My uncle was a firefighter. He gave me his old stuff. So it was the real thick jacket hat, all that stuff. I would stand in the front yard with a water hose, pretending like I was fighting a fire. I was not playing around, now I'm telling you. I was a serious, I was going to do this. And when God called me to preach at 15, I realized I'll never be a firefighter. My dream is dead. Thank you, God. But then I made myself feel better by going, oh, I'm not going to fight real, f- I'm going to fight the fires of hell. That's my, that's and, and seriously, that's how I made myself, that's how I soothed my own soul. I was fighting the flames of the enemy, not house flames. And I just you know, figured that was the way it was going to be. But you know what? We live in a little town where they have a volunteer station and last year, I signed up to be a firefighter. Man, every time that beeper goes off, I'm like, "Woo!" I'm telling you, I, I get out, 3385 responding to station. Yeah, baby. I get in there. I got the truck running. I got the doors open. Man, I got my stuff on. I'm just waiting, man. Let's go. Because I'm living the dream. And here's the deal about that. God is so good that even when He kills the dream, when we're faithful to Him, He will sometimes, not always, it's not a promise, but sometimes He'll bring it all the way back around and go, I know what your heart desires. And in the goodness of God, He says, I'm going to give you just a little taste of what I placed in you a long time ago. Because the reality is, I'm not there really to fight fires. I'm there to be an influence for the kingdom of God inside of a fire station. And it also gets me in the homes of people who are hurting and desperate and in need of a touch from Jesus. I can't tell you the number of times that I've just gone over to a a, a spouse of someone who's had a cardiac arrest or something going on, and I've just said, can can, can I just offer a prayer for you? And, and And I say to myself, you know, I'm glad I didn't do it my way. Because if I'd have done it my way, it wouldn't be nearly as satisfying. Does that make sense? Let's finish up this passage because we do have to go eat lunch today. Let uh, Let us run with perseverance the race, the agony marked out for us. Listen, God gives us each a race to run. But he doesn't give us a race that is peculiar to everybody else's race no he gives us a race to where we're still running the same race with our brothers and sisters in christ but our race just has a little bit different path because he's got you here and he's got you here and he's got you here and he's got you here he's got me here and he's got you here and together we cover the entire trail See, this is why it's so important for you to figure out what God has called you to do and to whom He's called you, because without you knowing that, we're missing part of God's purpose for us as a church. Hear me say this. Johnny Cam, God has given you a supernatural spiritual gift. I think it might be making fires. (laughs) But beyond that, he... He did a Louisiana bonfire the other night for our single adults. My eyebrows were singed and I wasn't even there. I mean, it was... Johnny, I'm not joking. God has placed in you a supernatural spiritual gift. I'm just going to pick on you. I'm not going to say that to everybody else. Because I know that you like attention and you like to be up on stage. He hates that. I would never do that to somebody that I didn't feel like wouldn't... But He has, every one of us in this room, God has given us a passion. God has given us a gift. God has given us, I don't even want to say skill, but maybe it's part of a skill. (laughs) And when we understand that He's given us that to use it for God's kingdom, what a glorious day. So let us fix our eyes. This is the key, folks. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. You want to know why it's sometimes hard for us to run this race? It's because we're looking at everybody else. I don't know about you, but I can't can't run if I'm looking behind me. It was kind of funny walking on the ship. I would watch people who were talking, run into stuff. You see little kids do it all the time. They're just walking. They have no idea that a danger is right in front of them. But that's what we do as a believer. We're so frustrated sometimes because we're looking at everybody else and not at the one that we need to be looking at. Listen, my race is not your way, your race. Stop trying to be me and I'll stop trying to be you. Matter of fact, it's not even my job to tell you what your race is. It's my job to help you find Jesus so He can tell you what the race is. That's what it's about. My job as a parent, help my children to find out what their race is. Run the race marked for you. And run that race knowing that your eyes are fixed on Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Consider Him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So much more I'd like to say, but I think that's enough for today. You know, we got to get over being so emotionally driven, and I don't mean that in a in a, uh, a a cruel way. I mean, too much of our faith is driven by how we feel. Look, and I mean this with absolute respect, but I don't always feel in love with Shannon. I always love her. But if I'm tired and grouchy or I woke up on the wrong side of the bed, I the first, first thing is, oh, I love you so much. That's the, I mean, that's... And she, the same thing for her for me. She doesn't always feel in love with me. But it's not about feeling. It's about the day that we stood before a pastor and a congregation and God, we said, I promise to love and cherish and all those other things till death do we part. Nowhere in there did it ever say, I promise to feel like I love you. Guys, if we could just get through this, if we could just realize that our faith is not built on feelings, it is built on on the truth of what God has already said then we can step into his presence going you know what Lord I don't feel like worshiping you but the greatest worship is the worship that is born out of sacrifice not out of feelings but here's what I know when you do what you've committed to do in spite of the feelings. The goodness and the tenderness and the mercies of God will be new for you each and every morning. And when I say every morning, what I mean is like maybe in seven mornings away. It, it may take a little longer than we want, but God is faithful. Amen. So one last thing. So as some of you know, I, I did a, a D-man, a doctor of ministry. It took me nine years to do it. Nine years, literally, every single day, 365 days for nine solid years. It was it was a weight on my shoulders. There were multiple times that I wanted to, to give up. Multiple times that I wanted to be like the other 50% plus of the class that said, you know what, I can't do it, it's too much. The only reason I finished literally the only reason is because I refused to quit. Don't get me wrong, I had some help along the way. I had some people who who, who encouraged and helped, but that wasn't enough to keep me going. Because nobody else could do it for me. It was all on me. And the only reason I finished was because I said, I will not quit. I mean, it was just my message to you is this do not quit grab a hold of this race and say God I will not quit and when you feel like you can't go anymore the grace of God is sufficient for you you may not But it's there because he promised it would be there. Do not quit. Father in heaven, I pray for your people today. I pray for your grace. There would be grace upon grace. I pray for hope. God, I pray for truth. I pray that you would would give us encouragement through your word. And I pray that the word that that we've heard today would, would bring life inside of us. Lord God, I ask that you would would take the one who today is so frustrated and I pray that you would settle their heart, calm them, Father, and remind them that it is a marathon. It is a long, long race. God, for the one who doesn't know why you have made them or what you've called them to be or to do, God, I ask that you would make them search. Because Your Word promises that if we will search for You, we will find You. In other words, You will make Yourself known when we search with all of our heart. Father, I ask that this very moment You would reignite the passions of our youth. Lord, now that You've had to to empty us of us, I pray that You would reignite those things that were born of Your Spirit inside of us. And I pray that you would help us to see what we've never seen before. And I pray that you would help us to to, to have have the the, the ambition that we used to own for ourselves, but now we recognize it's you inside of us. And God, I pray that we would have great faith, that our little faith would turn into giant faith, and that faith would be totally built upon the revelation of yourself in your Word. God, I ask these things because all that I've asked for is for your glory. Every bit of it is so the name of Jesus can be magnified and glorified to the ends of the earth. God, this is my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, have you ever placed your faith in Jesus Christ? The Bible says it's by grace that you're saved through faith, not of any of the works that you've done. If you find yourself right now in need of a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, I would ask that you would yield to Him. Simply say, Lord, here I am. The Bible tells us that He chases after us. Will you yield to Him? Will you allow Him to change your heart? Would you allow Him to to be the Lord and Savior of your life? I say allow. It's probably a bad word. Will you stand to your feet